in the morning when you want the news you need the front page every hour on the press box nothing's writing on this except the uh, first amendment of the constitution freedom of the press and maybe the future of the country not that any of that matters and now the news The Aces beat the Connecticut Sun 89-81 to last night. Aces are now 9-1 and on the season and sit in first place of the WNBA. Becky Hammond has the best record for a first-year head coach in WNBA history through the first 10 games. Uh, Asia Wilson had a season high with 24 last night. Jackie Young, another 20-point game as she is having a terrific season. But the funny part of last night... And this is very nitpicky for a team that's 9-1. and one. But we've talked about the lack of bench that the Aces have. Yep. They only got four points from their bench last night. I found this to be humorous. With a minute 54 left in the game, Becky Hammond pulled her starters. Uh, they were up by 13. Less than a minute later, Becky Hammond put the starters back <laughs> into the game. <laughs> there were 58 seconds left. They were still up by 8. The lead only dropped 5. They went from 13 to 8. It's not like... The game was suddenly close. It was still an eight-point game. But Becky Hammond has such little trust in her bench that she did not trust them to hold on to an eight-point lead with 58 seconds to play. I was not watching of it. I did get a text, this bench is awful. <laughs> From someone who was watching. And I didn't I mean, at that point. Tyler texted uh, you that? No, it wasn't Tyler. But it was. Uh, but it must have been at this point because, you know, yeah, it seemed, the time-wise it was like an hour into the game or however long into the game, so I'm like, okay, once I saw this this morning, I'm like, that makes sense. She, um, <laughs> they cut they cut their first-round picks. How bad did those first-round picks have to be that I mean, this is the guys they kept on the bench? And maybe, good for her, man, she's demanding. I mean, she'll tell you after everyone, I, there's been nine wins, and I don't know if it's every time, but it's soon after the first few comments where she's telling you what they did wrong. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, and it's working, right? I mean, they, I yeah. think they really respect her. I think they really respect her. Uh, and it's, look, it's easy to respect someone when you're nine and one. Also, let's right. not let's not kid ourselves. When you're winning, it's much easier to take criticism than if you were losing and you just said she was picking on you. This team has been terrific because we are seeing Jackie Young and uh, Kelsey Plum basically at the height of their abilities. Mm -hmm. No longer is there a you know being the ball being forced into the post on every possession. No longer are there players in the way. If they beat somebody off the dribble. They can usually get a layup because there's not help side defense right. that's just waiting for you. And if there is, they kick it out and it's an open three for somebody else. So they like what Becky Hammond has done in the first 10 games has been excellent for Jackie Young and Kelsey Plum. And then Asia Wilson's an MVP candidate. Chelsea Young's an all-star level player. And De'Erica Hamby's a terrific fifth player, fifth starter, whatever. Their starting lineup is incredible. It's amazing to me that Becky Hammond has gotten so much out of that starting unit and absolutely nothing out, out of, of her bench. bench. Yeah. Like it is, it is one of the biggest contrasts you will see where everything is going well for the starters. I mean, they are incredible, but when the bench is in the game, it's just like, Oh, okay. Maybe we'll get six points from the bench today. Oh, we can't trust them for the final two minutes of this game. Like it's incredible the contrast between how good the starters have been and how little they use and how little production they get yeah. on the bench. I mean, it's and you said it before. Look, they're the best team, and right now you'd say they're going to win it. But an injury here or there, 
you know, do they get worn down? It's 10 games in. Like, you could see some things that would, you know, kind of impede their path to a title. But if these starters don't get worn down and they're playing like this, I mean, I don't know who's beating them. Oh, yeah. I mean, if they, if you, if you were to guarantee the five starters were healthy for the postseason and, and not worn down more than the rest of the league, right? Everybody's going to be worn down to right. some extent, but in the same relation to the rest of the league, they're winning the WNBA yes. title, but they're kind of playing on a pretty fine margin where, okay, like what happens if Kelsey Plum or Jackie, or what happens if one of the starters gets hurt, yeah. right? And then all of a sudden you've got a weak link on the floor when you're starting fives out there. How yeah. big of an impact does she that? She probably play? plays four and five. <laughs> she looks to the bench and says, eh, I don't think so. We're four out. Jackie picks it up, kicks it to Asia. She's open for three. Asia Wilson, boom! Asia Wilson for three! She's pumping the fist and gives the Aces their largest lead of the night at 59-48. Rafa Nadal beat Novak Djokovic in four sets the Joker. yesterday. Djokovic the number one seed, Nadal the five seed. My main question, how is this a quarterfinal I matchup? I am trying to figure Open? this out because Rafa is ranked fifth in the world and he was the fifth seed. So... I'm trying to figure out. Someone can text in how this happened, where the one and the five is in a quarter. Um, you think so, we got a lot of listeners who are big into tennis? Well, it's bracketology. It's, where's Fern here's Rose? My, well, here's my best understanding of it. It's pretty much a random draw. With they, they will split up the top four seeds so that none of the top four seeds are See each in, other till the semis. Right. right, and so, but what that means is that five and beyond. Can, can play anybody in anybody's region okay. or bracket not region but bracket okay. and so the one seed and Djokovic got screwed because the best player that wasn't in that top four was in his side of the bracket his, yeah which is stupid I mean you look back on it you're like what what are we doing here but uh yeah it was I I watched most of that it was a terrific four set because match. a lot of the times I think Wimbledon doesn't go by world rankings they do their own seeding but if Rafa was five then these, then the French goes by the world rankings, but yeah. um, that's the explanation. Then if they mix them all up and Joker, Joker just got a bad uh, draw. By the way, what are they doing in tennis? Because this match went like to 1 a.m. in Paris. Yep. What do we not have normal start times for these things where they know, like, you know, when Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic play, it's go, you, we know it's going to take a long yes. time. It's going four or five. We, yes. we can't figure yes. out how to start that earlier. Yeah. It's a good question. It's obviously going to be the main main uh, match on center court there. Um, yeah, I mean, is it was it because the previous ones all went five sets and they got torn? They got they got pushed back. I'm not sure. I mean, that happens too a lot in tennis. But you've got to figure out a way to get the main match. And is it and here's here's the other thing: is it TV? Because TV has everything to do with everything. Maybe I mean it, it was on in the middle of the afternoon right. here, so maybe that was like, yeah, let's start yep. them at nine o'clock at night because. People you in gotta America have, will you gotta to have watch people it. watching on television. All right, I am catching up on this story, but I find this fascinating. Dustin Johnson is going to compete in this LIV tournament in London. It's a twenty-five million dollar golf tournament. There's no cut. Uh, winner takes twenty-five million dollars. But it's not a part of the PGA Tour. Nope. 16 of the top 100 golfers on the PGA Tour are competing in this. Dustin Johnson, the biggest name, won. Um, is the PGA Tour going to fine or suspend the players that are playing in this? 
I thought that there was the PGA Tour came through with a rule that when there is a PGA Tour event, they can't go to this tour uh, and play. So, but if that many are playing, maybe they're just risking some kind of, Aww. like you said, fine or suspension. Doggy. Yeah, um, like I, am... I, I, because I know that came out a few weeks ago because of you know Mickelson and um, uh, mm. said he would play you know and uh, where the the Saudis are are, are are sponsoring it, and I know it came out a few weeks ago that the PGA said when we have a uh, event to be played, which I believe they do, you can't go to the other one. But I don't know, Tyler. I don't know if they if they um, announced like what the disciplinary action would be. I have to imagine if you're the PGA Tour, you were waiting to see how good a golfers actually went to this. Because Dustin was like the biggest name guy that's going. Oh, absolutely. Like, if this had just been a bunch of nobodies that you don't really care about if you're the PGA Tour, then maybe you're like, ah, we'll find you guys or whatever. Not a big deal. But I wonder what they do when, you know, Dustin Johnson, one of the, what, 10 biggest names in, in on the PGA Tour, like, what do they do when Dustin Johnson does that? Do they actually suspend him or whatever the punishment they were thinking of? Do they actually do that to Dustin Johnson whenever he presumably comes back and tries to play in a PGA Tour event, which I'm guessing will be sometime in the near future he'll try to play in a PGA Tour event. So I oh. I love this golf drama of like, hey, there's the PGA Tour, and they haven't really had a legitimate competition, right? I mean, it's the PGA Tour or nothing if you're one of the best no, golfers in the that's, world. No, that's why the PGA... Well, yeah. there's a lot of reasons the PGA Tour don't like this and a lot of reasons other people don't like this, but um, look, $25 million to the winner. A no I, cut. 54 yeah. holes. I mean, I'm taking... If I'm Dustin Johnson, I mean, I know I have a lot of money, but $25 million is $25 million. Yeah, I mean, Tommy Pham would quit after the first oh, round. Oh, man, but, you, can you, you know. imagine he'd, he'd be in second? He'd be two shots behind <laughs> Dustin Johnson saying, yeah, but you, you you used a different club than you were supposed to, and you broke the rules. I quit. Oh, darn it. Come on! I can't, are you proud of yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're proud of yourself? Yeah, Fox backs me. Well, and to be honest, they, to be honest. They. No, no, selection. that's enough. That's enough. Next question, please. Here's a tweet from Al Butler. Udonis Haslam says he hasn't recovered from the loss to the Celtics and plans to take his time and decide what's next and where it goes about coming back next season. Udonis Haslam hasn't recovered from the loss in a postseason series in which he did not play. What's happening with Udonis Is this Haslam guy here? a little off-center? A little. He's, a little. He says he's played. You say he's played in eighteen regular season games over three seasons. Yes. Did not play in the postseason, and he's saying he's losing sleep and he hasn't gotten over it. You never got in the game. Oh, the, the, the most. He played. He played in his mind. Yeah. The, the most memorable thing he did was a uh, memorable thing he did after six running over and ripping Draymond for saying that they were going to play Boston, which, by the way, they're playing Boston. I, this, it's terrific. I, Udonis Haslam is unbelievable. Where he's like of anybody on the Heat. He's the most distraught person. Yeah, like more so Tyler, than Jimmy Butler, who's yeah. who's moved on. Tyler Hero yesterday was talking about, yeah, I, I deserve to be a starter in this league. Like he's our, Tyler Hero's already like, yeah, whatever, Heat, I need to be a starter. Udonis right. Haslam is like, this is the most difficult moment of my <laughs> career. <laughs> it's oh. like, dude, you, you didn't play. Like, I, I, like you're on the team. I get it, but like, Jesus, you're taking this harder than everybody else combined. Do you want to be the one who tells him? He did like if he whatever like hey dude you need to calm down I am not doing that to you Donis Haslam because he scares me 
I'm at my house talking into a microphone. I'm comfortable doing it here. If Udonis Haslam was at my house right now, no. I'd be like, yeah, t- tough loss, man. I feel for you. So he's 41-year-old. We've become the fifth player to spend an entire career spanning at least 19 seasons with one franchise. He has he had a one-year deal worth $2.8 million. Bring him back. I mean, you got to bring that 19, guy back. 19 seasons. I'm pretty sure we're in a position where the Miami Heat just can't tell him to retire, right, and he's right. he doesn't want to retire yeah. because I mean, still, 19 still seasons with losses. one team. It's pretty pretty impressive. That is that is actually I'm I mean, not impressed with a lot of stuff about him, but in reading this, I'm pretty impressed that he's been able to go 19 seasons with one team. And I mean, can you imagine the amount of money in 19 seasons in the NBA he's made? Yeah. I mean, oh. I, does it does it count as 19 if you don't play for the last three? Hey, he got in in Jimmy Butler's face and went, "You don't talk to our coach like that." I mean, for the last several seasons, he's been between two and four. He's made in his career, which I'm going to say, you know, in 19 seasons doesn't seem like a lot, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but with NBA contracts nowadays, with you know maxes and supermaxes and all that, in 19 seasons, he's made 68 million. That's pretty good. Which, no, it's pretty good. It's why am I saying that? That's not much. <laughs> Well, because, I mean, because nineteen play, seasons. Now you play four seasons, you get a super max. You're making two fifty. Because there's guys making forty four yeah, million exactly. this year. So yeah, <laughs> so that's for one year that these guys are getting now, and that's his entire career. He's also, I mean, outside of like Dwayne Wade, he is one of the most Miami. Like he literally walks down the streets of Miami and just gets stuff for free. So I assume that they're factoring that into <laughs> his contract. I wonder if SantaCon is the one thing that won't eventually get that reappraisal. Because I remember people used to stun on Guy Fieri like this. And at this point, he's like, everybody agrees that Guy Fieri is like the most important American. Mm-hmm. Like that if he ran for president as on either party with any platform, he would certainly win 60% of the vote. Yes. Wanted to get this in because we didn't get it in yesterday. But UNLV Baseball... 0-2 in the Mountain West yeah. Baseball Tournament. They won the regular season title but didn't win a game in the tournament. Got eliminated by Air Force and Nevada. Air Force actually went on to win the Mountain West Tournament. They are in the NCAA Tournament. They got a four seed in the Austin Regional, which means they are one of the 16 worst teams in the NCAA yeah. Tournament. First time in 53 years they're in a regional. That tells you a little bit about why they're one of the 16 worst teams. Yeah. But they played the best last weekend, and they went and... Yeah, UNLV knew it had to win the tournament. It's a one-bid league. La- last time they got two bids, actually, remember 2014 when the Rebels got in as an at-large. Um, but they're just a one-bid league. Their their RPIs throughout the league are horrible. I mean, Fresno and San Diego State are usually really good. California teams, their RPIs were both in the 200s. So that's that's all you need. I think UNLV's RPI was 115, so they had to go win it. Um, let me ask you this real quick. What should they do? In baseball, where obviously there's no revenue, especially down in San Diego last week, where the Aztecs weren't even involved, would you give it to a team that won the league by three by three games, like UNLV, or would you say nope, we're having a conference tournament and Air Force, who is pretty bad all the way around, except for their starting pitcher, they get the bid. I'd have the conference tournament. I, you I like think those? it's perfectly fine. Yeah, I okay. mean, all right, you can play with the format, like maybe you do the one and the two seed play a three game series, but I oh I'm that, fine that with wouldn't that be bad. Because, that wouldn't be because bad. it's like. Sure, UNLV was more deserving than Air Force, but again, UNLV wasn't good enough that we're no, really thinking they, they got screwed here. So, oh no, not they got screwed. I was just, I, yeah. I, I actually love your idea about a two out of three with one and two seed. 
Yeah, I think like if you, I mean, it depends on how good your three and four seeds are, if that's better or worse. But yeah, I mean, you could you could play with the format, but like a, a little Mountain West World Series, three yeah, game series be cool. between the one and the two, would be fun. Coming up next, man, the Avalanche and Oilers. Those teams are going to score a hundred goals in this series. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. The Colorado Avalanche beat the Edmonton Oilers last night, eight to six in game one of the Western Conference Final. Uh, the expected goals in that game were 4.5 to 4.1, which, by the way, that's still insanely high for both teams to be over four expected goals, but it's certainly not eight to six. We saw all four goalies in this game. Darcy Kemper of Colorado had to leave with an injury, but he allowed three goals, had an 8-1-3 save percentage. Pavel Frankuz came in. He also gave up three goals, had an 8-5-7 save percentage. Mike Smith got pulled for Edmonton after he gave up six. His save percentage was 760. The only goalie with a decent stat line was Edmonton backup Miko Koskinen, who only allowed one goal and had a 952 save percentage. I don't so, think he's the backup anymore. Well, here's an important question. Is the Western Conference just simply full of the best offensive talent, or do these goalies just suck? Well, let's put Mike Smith in the ladder. Uh <laughs> I mean, they're full of offense. I think it goes hand in hand, right? They're such good offensive players that they make the goalies look bad, but I don't think there's a lot of good goalies. And you could be going two backups now, right? I don't know if Kemper's hurt very much or how bad he's hurt, um, but you could be going Francois and Konskin the rest of the way, which would be interesting if you go two backups. Although, Miko, I don't know if he should be the backup there. Uh, yeah, he may maybe shouldn't be the backup there. Uh, yeah, it's not like you're going to get significantly worse goaltending all of a sudden. No, uh, if that's no. the situation. Um, I here. What do you think the lowest uh, goal total is for a winning team in this series? Four. Four. Oh, God, that is high. Man, that is a really four. high number for a winning team, right? Yeah, yeah. The like winning four, team, two, like, four, one. I'll so, say four. You're you're saying so there will not be like a two-one game in this series. I don't think so. Man. I don't think there will be. I think it's two. It's gonna be a. Hell I mean, of I wanted eight-six in every game, right? We're not right. gonna get that. But I mean, they had seven. I mean, it was amazing how they went to how they got to seven as quickly as they did. Yeah. End end of the first period, Edmonton scored with I think it was like twenty-two seconds left. And I was like, oh, I watched the replay of the goal, and I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to go feed my dog now. I come back up, and Colorado has scored and is on the power play, and the first period hadn't ended yet. Yeah. And I was like, what in the hell did I miss? And then I think they scored less than 56 seconds into the second. (laughs) I I, I think I saw where they – it wasn't even a minute into the second that they scored. (laughs) And they're up – by the way – they go up by three goals in the third period, and then all of a sudden it's a one-goal yeah. game. Like Edmonton had a legitimate chance there with the goalie pulled to tie the game and make it seven to seven going into overtime. I mean, Phenomenal. what's your number? My number is going to be four. I ha- I have to imagine there will be one game where the offense is not unbelievable. Like I, I just it's so seems... three two three yeah, one. Like, there's got to be at least three. one <laughs> where the goalies are not that dreadful or where like. You know, Nathan McKinnon just misses the net enough that you don't actually have 
a ridiculous number of goals. So, yeah, three, two. Okay. I, I, three is I love that. Like three for the Golden Knights is almost an instant win. Exactly. Remember when Pete DeBoer said this year this league is a first to three wins league? Yes. Yeah. Not no. with these two teams. No. First to seven. You know, actually, you know what's funny about this? The Golden Knights, who um, view themselves in this category of team, right? They think they should be playing in the sure. Western Conference Final. Sure. Uh, would they have, like, the best three goalies in this series? Oh, um, that's a great question. Well, I don't know about... I mean, I like Thompson I a lot. I don't know about but... Laurent. Uh, da- like, they oh, might, yeah, he plays for the team. They might have the best two. I, I Like, we saw, like, 15 games of Logan Thompson, and I'm like... Yeah, I think that guy would have done better than everybody, except maybe Miko Koskinen last night. Like, what the hell? Like how? Like the the gold the Golden Knights have played the Western Conference Finals two years in a row with like outscoring any goals. Like they get there and they're like, yeah, we'll score six for the entire series and be in meanwhile, it. Let's shoot directly yeah. at their chest. Edmonton scored six last night and lost. That's incredible. Something, by the way, something Tyler. Uh, when my mom was sitting behind you at the soccer game, she was like, can I ask him about why the Golden Knights always shoot into people's chests? <laughs> That's what they love to do. It's like a target. It's just you're drawn to it. Um, one other fun stat. Connor McDavid last night had a goal and two assists, was still a minus one. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, oh, and by the way, Evander Kane scored again. I don't know. Edmonton's probably not going to get out of this uh, series, but Evander Kane scoring has been... Uh, kind of funny to see. So has Evander guy. Kane opened himself up to a lot of people more being more interested now? I, I think we've gotten to a point where people are ignoring all of the... All the uh, nonsense uh, and all the yeah, craziness all the problems. problems. Yeah, like the most ridiculous offseason a player has ever had, where like his teammates saying they didn't want to play with him was the least of his problems. Um, him trying probably, to sneak into Canada? He's probably played... They cleared him of that. He's oh, probably okay. played... Uh, He's probably played well enough that, yeah, somebody's going to be like, you know what? Yeah, here's a normal yeah. contract. We're not worried about it. I mean, Edmonton gave him, like, was it a million dollars this year to to play for half the season or whatever it was? So, like, they got him for super cheap. And, yeah, I'd have to he's imagine not be, somebody If someone around. signs him, he's not going to be super cheap, yeah. cheap after, okay. this, after these playoffs. Yeah, after the Golden Knights give him a 10-year contract <laughs> for $7.5 Can you imagine if he came here? Oh, man. <laughs> All right, coming up next, Jason Fitz joins the show. The man does not like pie or syrup on his pancakes. No clue why we're talking to him, but it is time for our weekly visit with ESPN's Jason Fitz. Good morning, Jason. How are you? Hey, Jason. I'm I'm great. How y'all doing? Yeah, we're Very better good. than Tommy, fam. Yeah. Um, have you ever been slapped or wanted to slap somebody over fantasy football? Uh, no, no, uh, I've never gone that far with fantasy football. The snarkiest it got was uh, I, I did win a fantasy football league, and uh, there was a Major League Baseball player in the time that was in that league uh, when I was touring with the band, and uh, he gave me a bat, uh, one of his bats from the game. Afterwards, it was signed, and he wrote on it to Jason, I guess I'll leave the fantasy sports to you while I play the real ones. So that was oh. as snarky as it got, you know, he was... He was right, but uh, the, that bat is hanging up in my home studio two feet from me right now. So that's about the only uh, – that, that, that's about as snarky as it gets. Like, band guys are far easier with each other. Also, though, I will tell people, like, the buy-in, like, 
you know, uh, when you're on a tour bus, the buy-in at 20 bucks, 25 bucks feels pretty hefty. Like, if you've got friends that are doing the buy-in for 100 bucks, like, that's a big league. The Major League Baseball players, I know that play. I don't know any of them that play for a buy-in that starts at under 10 grand. So I do think that there's a, a difference in the economics when they start. When Like, I might, I might slap somebody over the amount of money they got going. <laughs> uh, can you tell us which baseball player it was? Uh, J.P. Aaron Sibian uh, played for the Blue Jays and the Rangers in his career. Now is a broadcaster for the Marlins. Good buddy. Nice. Good for you. How, who did you? <laughs> what What did you t- take of the entire? Just let's break down the situation. First of all, Jock Peterson uh, with the sideways cap on and the overalls, which was a great look for him. Uh, Jock Peterson being as honest as he was about the situation to the point where he was showing reporters gifts on his phone. Which is wild that we're at that spot. Like, I, I understand that they had a fantasy football beef, but, it, you know, if you start slapping people at work over a fantasy football beef in general, most places you're going to get in trouble. Like, I, I don't think that's a hot take. Like, if you all get into a slap fight, you know, at it, it, it work over fantasy football, the programming director is going to come in at some point and say, guys, cut it out, right? Like, I, I think that, that seems fairly reasonable. So, yeah, I, I – I get showing the, the stuff on the phone, but really, like, how insecure are we on all of it that it's like, well, no, I was right, because look at the receipts I have. I, I, who cares? It's fantasy football. You play real baseball. All right. Uh, give me – I'm sure you have a story here. What's the pettiest or the smallest thing you saw somebody get slapped over on a tour? Oh, God. No, that, there isn't a lot. Like, I'm telling you, tours are gentler than people uh, imagine tours being, like – I did have one – there was one guy I toured with, and it was funny because he was just the best guitar player. Uh, but this was years ago with a, with a different act, and he was the nicest guy, but, I mean, just a functioning alcoholic in every possible way. Like, he would go up and rip the best solos you've ever heard on a guitar in your life, and then you'd have to help him off stage afterwards. He was just a basket case. But uh, there was one Sunday that I had set the – because on a, for anyone that doesn't know, on a tour bus – there's two TVs usually, like one in the front lounge, one in the back lounge, and then all the little bunks have TVs. But there's two satellite dishes. So, you know, you have the opportunity to watch two, two different things. So I had, on brand to me, I had set the channel to whatever channel the Raiders game was on, and then I left the bus to go grab a bite to eat and come back. He was convinced in his drunken rage that I had hidden or taken the remote so that he couldn't change his channel, and he had to watch whatever other game was going on, and he hated sports. So he just yelled. He he mother effed me for twenty minutes while I sat there, and it was it was wild that it was all over a remote. And then somebody found the remote in the back lounge, brought it up to him, was like, "Hey man, you talking about this?" Oh, it was it was a redeeming moment for me. Although uh, it was also a good strategy because, it, admittedly, later in life, I definitely hid the remote a couple of times when I knew guys could change. Well, bands are like families, right? So how how contentious could it get when you're with these people that long? Oh, it's there was one dude that um, went to LSU, and like I'll never forget, he was the nicest kid, uh, and I say kid because he was like fresh out of college. And he was he was one of our merch guys, and like he was one of those guys that would just anytime the Raiders lost, he was a fan of the the team the Raiders were playing against that week because he had you know a friend somewhere that you know knew somebody that was a fan of whatever. Like there was always that he's that guy that has a reason why suddenly this week. He's a Jets fan if it means that he can troll you on the bus. And he was the, one of the ones that went too far, and I went too far in my response to him. I mean, I, I, 
Uh, I said a lot of nasty, nasty things to him because the Raiders had just lost, and he chose to get my face in that moment. But that's about as far as it goes. It, it rarely gets uh, physical in my my. Although there was one, there, there's kind of a famous. <laughs> like, not, well, now that I think, not, not for me, but uh, there was a fame for anyone that likes big and rich. Um, you know, John Rich and Big Kenny don't get along. They haven't gotten along for years. And uh, when I was playing for a guy named Phil Vassar, we did a bunch of shows uh, with Big and Rich on one run. And um, as as we walked off, as Big and Rich walked off the bus one day, Big Kenny was wearing sunglasses. And it was like, why is he wearing big sunglasses? And we found out that, you know, John Rich decided he had had it and just beat the snot on the bus the night before. So he had to wear sunglasses for the next three, four days. But those guys, those guys lived a lot rougher than we did. Oh, all right. Apparently, you're on the tame tour buses. We need to get you on the oh, big yeah, and yeah. rich tour they, bus. They legitimately nicknamed at one point the Ban Perry tour bus was at one point nicknamed the Milk and Cookies tour, and that was like earned because we had finished this run of sold out shows, and uh, the the booking agent a lot of times they'll get you a present, you know, and so uh, when you sell out a bunch of shows, so the booking agent called me because he knew I knew the family better than anybody, and he's like, hey, what can we get? Kimberly Neal and Reed, like, what can we get to three Perry's as a congratulations? And he's asking about all these different types of bourbon and all this stuff. And I was like, nah, man, an ice cream cake. Like, if you got her an ice cream cake, <laughs> they'd be so excited. And he thought that I was pulling his leg, but I didn't give him any other answer. And when he came up on the bus with an ice cream cake, you would have thought that those three kids won the lottery. Like, kids, I mean, they were they were in their mid-20s. But you would have thought that they won the lottery at that ice cream cake. So, I'm telling you, we were officially the Milk and Cookies Tour. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> Get him an ice cream cake. <laughs> You're So basically, you were on tour with a 12-year-old birthday party. Yeah, oh, I mean, essentially, like, the, the last song of the, the Brad Paisley Tour, anytime anybody ever sees Brad, he always finishes with the song called Alcohol. And they bring yes. out a, a fake, like, side bar and then they have a one of his guys that's on tour dresses up in a brad paisley mascot outfit and every band that played that whole show comes out on stage together and everybody raises a glass during the song alcohol but what people didn't realize like when when we were touring with brad at one point it was us and uh brad obviously and brad doesn't allow his his band to drink until post show because he he believes that they're putting on you know it's it's their business you don't get to drink at work so you can't have a drink till afterwards and then it was us and Scotty McCreary had just won American Idol. Scotty was like 19, so his his band bus was dry also. So we would walk out every night on out to, to do alcohol. We'd have to raise these little shot glasses, and they were filled with vitamin water lemonade. There, there was never any alcohol on stage. And we walked around like we were drunk idiots at that exact time every night and, and cheers to all these fans that are drunk. They're like, ah! And none of us had any alcohol. So that's, that's our glory. Did the band Perry have such rules as well? Uh, at the time, they did. Uh, not, not anymore, but at the time, uh, especially because they had so many young fans, I think their the biggest concern for the Perry family was that if young fans just saw me on stage playing the fiddle on If I Die Young, and then I walk out into the crowd and I could barely stand up, I'm, I'm still representing the band while I'm watching the headliner. So their whole thing was like, if you're going to have a drink, have a drink on the bus. Don't have it out in front of fans and uh, and everything within everything in moderation. They had specific moderation was a, a very specific rule for everything they did. So, uh, which I think honestly, that's the other misconception a lot of people have about country tours is you think that guys are like smashed the whole time, but like Blake Shelton's alcohol, he barely has any whiskey in that red solo cup most night because 
if you think about it, like it's cool when you're playing 50 shows a year to get drunk. That's fine. But when you're playing 250 shows a year, like there reaches a point where not only can your liver not handle it, but you're not playing as well anymore. And people in November paid the same price as people in March for a show. So, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta approach it like a job. So I think you drink too much when you're on your way up and when you're on your way down, but in the middle, there's more protein bus than Jack Daniels on most country tours. We are about a week removed from his workout. Do you think Colin Kaepernick still has a chance to sign with the Raiders? Probably not, but I also don't think it's a it, – it, I think it made a lot of sense to work him out. And I think we got to change the Colin Kaepernick conversation today without ignoring the Colin Kaepernick conversation five years ago. Like, five years ago, there's a very important conversation about why Colin Kaepernick isn't in the league and why he wasn't being given opportunity. Today – He's five years removed from the league. He's a 36-year-old backup quarterback. So, you know, I think there are real organizational decisions. And Floyd Reese, the former GM of the Titans, uh, rest in peace, one of, uh, one of my close friends, and I worked with him a lot in radio in Nashville. And I asked him one day, uh, you know, off air, we were just talking about the Kaepernick situation. And this is, you know, four years ago. And he said one of the hardest things you have to accept as an organization is if you sign him, someday you may have to cut him. And there's going to be equal amounts of distraction from the day you sign him to every day in practice, to the day that you cut him. And then the question is, are you getting enough value added for that to be worth it? And if you think about, you all saw it, the way the, the practice facility looked on, on the day that Colin Kaepernick gets a, a workout, like the question is, is a 36-year-old backup quarterback so much value added that it's worth the amount of distraction that's created from it? I don't think so. But if he can help you win a single game, then go for it. Like at, at this point, if you're the Raiders, you're all in to win right now. So if you're looking at your quarterback room and you don't have the guy or you think he's an improvement, you have an obligation to sign him. Yeah, I, I was out there last week for the OTAs the day after he worked out, and it started at 10.15, and by 8 o'clock, there were live shots on ESPN. The NFL Network was there. The entire media room was full, and on a, on a daily basis, it's maybe half full even if that. I mean, do you go down that road if that's what you have to deal with? Or do you think Ziggler and McDaniels are the kind of guys with the whole Patriot way that they don't really care you know, if they're criticized or what the, what the noise is? Yeah, I think they probably don't care what the noise is. But, man, at some point you've got to be fair to everybody in that locker room and you've got to be fair to Mark Davis. Like, you know, Mark may say he doesn't care, and maybe he doesn't. You know, but the Raiders have been in the news so much for so many things over the last couple of years, rightfully so. Like, at some point, don't you want everybody to, to get a break? Like, I mean, I, and I even said to Max when I talked to Max Crosby this, uh, before the draft when we were getting tattoos, I said, man, you know, it, it had to be weird surviving such a difficult and strange year this year. And he laughed and jokingly said, strange year. Man, like, every year's been strange since I got here. And at some point, if you're the Raiders, you got to want a little bit of normalcy, don't you? At least in my mind. So, you know, I, I, I see where Josh and – and Dave maybe are coming in like we're first-name basis buddies. But, like, I think they're going to come in and say, hey, whatever helps us win. But if I'm Mark Davis, I'm like, does it help us win? Like, is it really worth it? That's a real question. All right, Jason. Uh, don't get punched over anything or slapped over anything in the next week or so. Or do, and tell us about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, I'm too. on a mission now. I'm going to see what it takes to get slapped on ESPN <laughs> campus today. Let's go. <laughs> He's Jason Fitz. Jason, thank you so much. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate you. Have a Appreciate great day. Uh, I love that detail from him of me saying that every year yes. has yeah. been yeah. chaos. Like laughing, they lost it. their coach because of emails. Like what five weeks into the season, and Max Crosby is like, "Yeah, 
Yeah, we expect stuff like that to happen. Like you shouldn't. We paid too. We paid too much taxes. <laughs> you shouldn't we have expect new, that. New to presidents, happen. New York Times, everything. Yeah. And John Gruden keeps walking in trying to pump up these accountants, and we're just <laughs> like, yeah. Now you know what we have to deal with. We got to knock on desks all the time. We didn't even have wood the first time. John Gruden made us put it in so we could knock on it. <laughs> all right. Coming up next, man, the SEC really does think it's better than everybody else. We'll not allow that to happen. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Boosters have never been involved in recruiting. So what's he, what's he talking, talking about? about? What's that guy? Maybe he's had a few. Maybe he's had a few on stage little shots there without the uh, water, the lemon water. <laughs> so. The SEC yesterday, their uh, commissioner and a lot of their coaches talked to the media. Um, they are apparently devising a plan where they might host their own playoff. Um, coming up at the end of 2025 is when the college football playoff contract runs out, which means there can be a new format put into place. Uh, we've obviously heard a lot of conversations about expansion. We thought it was going to be expanded last fall they ended up not agreeing as to how it should be expanded because i don't know they're idiots i can't quite we never figured out why they couldn't agree on that uh but this is what brian brian kelly who's the head coach at lsu now he said that the sec commissioner greg sankey has talked about the possibility of an sec only playoff after the college football playoff contract ends in 2025 he left it open to when he gets to june where they begin some conversations with other commissioners do you do you believe the sec would actually consider doing an sec only playoff conversations with other conference commissioners what's he going to tell the big 12 guy we're leaving yeah what does uh, that mean conversation <laughs> what would the conversation be we want to have our own we want to have our own uh playoff see you later i'm sure they're not going to agree with them um here's that's a really good question because SECs love or hate, right? There's no in between with the SEC, in my opinion, with most people. So I guess you're asking, would it be viable enough for TV for all the people who didn't like it? I say it would because I think even the people who don't like the SEC but who love college football would still watch if it's Alabama and Georgia and those type of teams. I don't know how people would watch an SEC-only playoff. I think – Early, I mean, I don't like the idea of it. Right. Well, the idea is horrific. Stupid. Um, early on, people would be intrigued enough to watch it. But, like, once if you got into, like, year five and six, where the SEC pits its four best teams against each other in a playoff every December, and, oh, there's a college football playoff for all the other conferences. Right. Like, I, I don't know. what would Would the SEC just simply outgrow the rest of college football and we would consider that the best of college football and that would be the top thing and the college foot the rest of college football would sort of be the second tier or would it be the other way around where the rest of the country kind of like okay why do we want to see alabama play lsu again like we're just going to ignore that and we're going to watch oregon ohio state like i don't know exactly how that would play out um but the other part of this there was a tweet from nicole Auerbach yesterday who basically was like the whole SEC only playoff thing is not a legitimate option. It's simply a leverage play for the SEC for when they start talking about the next college football playoff structure so that the SEC can get what it's what it wants. 
But if I was the rest of college football, I don't even think that leverage play would work on me. I'd be like, you're going to break off from the rest of us to like, I'd be like, okay, go for it. Like, I don't feel like that's a good enough leverage well, play that anybody would take it seriously. What in the world do they want? They get two to three teams in every year. <laughs> they are. What structure do they want? They want more of their teams in? Sometimes not even not, their champion. <laughs> they do not want automatic qualifiers. The SEC does uh, not want automatic qualifiers because the more automatic spots. So they can get four teams spots, in. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Less so SEC they can get more can get teams in. in. Right. Yeah. They do not want it. They do not. Jesus. The SEC does not want there to be a 12 team playoff and like the fourth best SEC team is ranked 10th and gets left out because Boise State had to be in and the Pac-12 champ was ranked 18th and had okay. to be in. Like, All right. That's what they want to. They they wish there was no automatic qualifiers because they think, well, we'll have three or four teams in a 12-team playoff well, every single year. I mean, the Pac-12 being ranked 20th, I mean, it's, there's a good argument there. Right. Pretty realistic. I mean, it's, pretty, it's a realistic argument. Yeah. doesn't mean they'll get four in every year, but, I mean, if you trust that they can pick the four best teams, which, you know... I don't know if that always happens. Um, there's there's a legitimate argument for that. I mean, if I'm the Big 12 or any other conference, I would want that as well. I mean, I don't want the 20th ranked team in if I think I can get a second team in. Well, I, th- I, mean, I think the way the SEC looks at it is the Big 12 or the Pac-12, where the Big 12 or the Pac-12 are just trying to guarantee they're in because the Pac-12 has been left out of the 14 playoff for so long, they don't even know what a playoff is anymore. Like, they just want to know that they have a spot in it. They want to be guaranteed one, right? even if it might cost them a second team at some point in the future. Whereas the SEC is like, well, we're getting at least two in to the 14 playoff. We should be getting five into a 12-team playoff. So it's just they think they're better than everybody else, and they're kind of right.